BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Sci-Fi Wire's Metal Crush Podcast. I'm Whitney Moore. This is where you hear extended versions of my chats with everyone who has joined us on Metal Crush. In this episode, we will be talking horror, comics, music, and more with Jonathan Davis of Korn, Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour, and Maria Brink of In This Moment. Okay, are you ready? Let's get right into our first chat. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jonathan Davis. I am here with the absolutely iconic Jonathan Davis from Corn. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. That's <laughs> all good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> so I understand you, Corn, uh, just released a cover of The Devil Went Down to Georgia, one of my favorite country songs featuring special guest Yellow Wolf. Tell me all about how this came to be and how you guys partnered up and also about the charity that you guys helped out. First, we, uh, we're all from Bakersfield, so some of us love country music. Um, <laughs> some don't, but it was just something that we wanted to do. We've been throwing around idea of doing a covers album for years, so sometimes when we get together, We'll just do a cover. We did it, and last time we did uh, the sessions for our last record, and um, had the idea of having Yellow Wolf come on, which is one of our friends we took on tour, and um, had him come in and do that, and we thought it came out great, so we did it, and we uh, put it out for this wonderful place, uh, Awakened Youth is a home for kids of lost parents, and uh, it's a girl Tiffany uh, heads daughter Janae went there and, and it's an amazing amazing place so we wanted to you know, help it out um you guys have released some really amazing music videos in the past and I wonder is there any director that you really want to work with that you haven't gotten to yet not really <laughs> <laughs> when we get into the video thing sometimes we come up with cool concepts and we work with directors on it the other time just we list we read what the director's vision is for this song and that's the more interesting part for me we get a stack of, of treatments and we go through and we pick the one that speaks to us the most. So I love that approach of just being really open to whatever directors want to to pitch to you. And I will keep that in mind when I send you a million pitches for your next music right, videos. Cool. cool. Well, I'm so curious because I know that you have worked with the amazing Todd McFarland, who I love. Also, Greg Capullo, Ryan Haberlin. You, you've worked with some really iconic people from the comics scene. Can you tell me a little about that? We first worked with Todd um, back when we did uh, the Spawn soundtrack for the movie. And then we, when we were doing Follow the Leader, we wanted to do something that was crazy for the artwork. So we we contacted him. He was totally down with it. And he came up with that amazing album cover, All the Kids Falling Off a Cliff. And he took that cover and animated it for the Freak Unleashed video. So we've worked with them a lot. You, you mentioned that you um, contributed to the soundtrack for Spawn and another movie that you created um, some music for is Queen of the Damned. I was my first solo endeavor, kind of, and um, whenever I go tour solo, I play those songs live and people just love it. But um, doing the score and, and doing the soundtrack was amazing to the fact that they hired us first and then they shot the movie. So it was a really 
it was cool. It was, I'd never done anything like that. And the movie was shot and me and Richard Gibbs, we wrote the score based on the songs. We got a 106 piece orchestra down at uh, this huge studio in Los Angeles. And it was intense. So I can't cool. believe so much, how much goes into making the score. And it was uh, definitely one of the highlights of my career doing that. Yeah. What are some of your favorite sci-fi movies and shows? Alien, my boy Giger. That's got to be, that's horror sci-fi. Old school ones like Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> um, let me think, all the Star Wars stuff, obviously. Um, do you remember the old, that I, I want to see it, there was v it was old. I think it was in the 80s. These lizard beings came to Earth and were trying to take it over, but they were dressed. They had human suits. I really, I remember that as a kid. I loved it. I watched it religiously until the end. Like my favorite sci-fi thing of all time, and I love, and people look at me like I'm weird as Dune. That's my, I got Amazing. props. I got all kind of, I got a weirding module on myself right now. So, <laughs> um, I love that kind of stuff. That was my, like, like my thing. Um, also, I really want to talk about, apparently of a Vincent Price death mask. It's right there. It's right over there. I see it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so can you describe for the uninitiated what a death mask is? A uh, death mask, when they take um, um, plaster cast your face when you, when you pass away, it's an old tradition dating back a long, long time. And uh, I'm curious about why you chose Vincent Price. Why? It's because of uh, like this, all the old, old horror. I can't remember the names right now, but all his old horror films. As a, as a kid, I, list, I watched those movies. Um, I also understand that you collect haunted dolls. Can you tell me about that? I love the energy. I go into antique stores and um, rescue these dolls, basically. Um, I have calls out to everybody in town and, and outside of their towns. It's like, if you ever get a doll that makes you don't feel right, call me and I'll pick it up. So I have a... Wow. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting like visceral creeps through the yeah, internet. Not. That's how effective these dolls are. Uh, I come take them in and I clean them and do the things I do. And, um, they got a home here. That's amazing. Well, good on you for rehoming the cursed dolls. That is wonderful. <laughs> do you think maybe, I mean, uh, this might just end up being for me, but um, would you be willing to, to send a picture of that uh, that doll shelf? Because the, the Zoom did not do it justice. And so... I'll see. Because those things don't like them, their pictures being taken. I don't want to do anything bad for you guys or any of that. I'm just being honest. Honestly, I, I respect that, and uh, I don't want to be haunted either, so thank you. Jonathan, you have been such a delight to speak with. I actually have a fan question from Twitter. I tweeted out that I would be speaking with you, and at Great Muffin King, great name, asks, will we ever see the Family Values Tour return? Who knows? I mean, we got the Arsenal Fold stuff we've done. Right now, It's uh, we just did a record last year, and we're just waiting to tour that thing. <laughs> we got kind of cut short. But I mean, that was a great, great, you know, place and time. Those that those tours were very, very, very fun. The ones we were on, we did two of them, and you never know. It was great speaking with Jonathan Davis. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at jdavisofficial. I want to remind you that you can get more of Sci-Fi Wire's Metal Crush by subscribing to Sci-Fi Wire on YouTube, and be sure to follow Sci-Fi Wire on Instagram. Okay, here's my recent chat with Corey Taylor of Slipknot. I am here with the iconic Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour and oh my gosh, a huge horror fan. Corey, thank you so much for joining me today. That's all good. Thanks for having me. 
man, I am so, so excited to get into it with you about your favorite horror stuff and comics and sci-fi and all of that good stuff. But first, I have to ask you for a little music update. I understand you were releasing a solo album, CMFT, uh, in October. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I finally have followed through on my threats to make a solo album. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was actually, it was something that I was going to, was going to go in and do in January and February anyway. And then obviously when COVID hit kind of moved that up because uh, all of my tour plans went on hold, but yeah, I went in and just kind of banged it out with uh, my friends who were in the solo band with me. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. It's really, really good. It's called CMFT simple you know it's my nickname since i was in high school and uh yeah it's gonna i'm really stoked i think that all of your fans are equally stoked can you tell me a little bit about how this project differs from your past work in slipknot and stone sour i mean the the differences really are very like really come down to the music um this is these songs are from a stockpile of songs that I've written over the years that just didn't fit with either band. You know, it was, uh, which I don't know if it was stylistic or just vibe wise, they just didn't work with either band. So I kind of turned around when I decided I was going to do a solo album and I went, man, I've got all of these songs that don't fit with either band. And I always said, if I was going to do a solo thing, I didn't want it to feel like either band. I wanted it to be its own thing. And, uh, Luckily, that's what these songs were. So it's really different from just a, a just the, the energy is different. The, the songs are much more from a celebratory kind of vibe that kind of comes from the influences that I've had over the years, uh, the songwriters, the bands, like it, it's much more of where I'm coming from and less where I've been. Let's put it that way. Ooh, that's very intriguing. It's vague enough, but I am very excited to hear it. And you have released um, the first music video for um, one of your tracks, CMFT Must Be Stopped, and it has a bevy of people in the heavy music scene. We've got like Manson, Baby Metal, uh, Lars from Metallica, Rob Halford, uh, Lejean from Seven Dust, who we actually had on this show, and oh, nice. uh, like a million other cameos. <laughs> Yeah, a cavalcade, if you will. It was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Tell me about getting all of those people together for this video. Um, how did you, did you just like use every contact that you've had in the music industry? How did that come about? I, uh, yeah, I owe a lot of people some money. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Uh, no, actually, most of them are, are pretty good friends of mine. Um, so it was as, as simple as a text and them just being like so into it. Um, and other people, uh, like Matty Matheson, I've never met, but apparently is a massive fan. He just did it because he wanted to be a part of it, man. So that was, that was really cool. So it was kind of a blend of, it was kind of in a weird way, a reflection of how I'm perceived in the, in the industry, which I thought was really gratifying and humbling, man. You know, like the, just the fact that the, they put these, uh, feelers out for people and so many people responded uh that it was just it just made it wonderful it really fit the party atmosphere of the video and and uh yeah I, I couldn't be more more stoked i can imagine that's probably pretty affirming is having all of these legends jump at the chance to to help you I out got a lot of <laughs> Six in my video are you kidding me like i was like to freaking out like a 10 year old boy i was just like <laughs> So rad. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I love that you mentioned um, this kind of like over the top vibe of this music video. You've got fire spinners, uh, wrestling oh, yeah. champion belts. Are you a wrestling fan? 
a massive, massive wrestling fan. I've been a fan since I was a kid. And, uh, like, and the weird thing is, is I made that belt um, not because I was trying to get into the WWE or anything like that, but I just, I just thought it would be cool. And then when I got it back, I realized it was the perfect image for the, for the album cover. And then that just, it just snowballed into this crazy idea. And now, like, now I have to have a massive one made for my, my live show. It's <laughs> so cool. It's interesting. I, um, I, wrestling is, is kind of my blind spot, but the way it was introduced to me was actually with comic book comparisons, basically saying like, oh, CM Punk is kind of like Batman and uh, John Cena is like kind of like Superman. This was a couple years ago, but um, the storylines feel very comic booky to me, who is kind of an outsider to that. Would you agree? And are you also a comic book fan? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the great thing, I mean, one of the reasons why you get into wrestling, uh, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, is because of the storylines, you know, it's the it's the uh, the feud. It's the the you know good versus evil. It's that it's that old it's that old idea that really appeals to all of us, you know. And it, it's the first thing that I come at with people when they don't when they when they make fun of me for being a fan, you know. And, and it always happens. And I and I kind of look at them and I go because your rom coms are Shakespeare, right? Oh, I'm sorry, you're you know, you're, you're too good for a good wrestling storyline. Those people, like, they don't get it, and that's fine. It's just more for us, you know? Yeah. Well, it seems like, like uh, comic books and, and, uh, and wrestling fans have this in common where there's a lot of payoff uh, if you stick with it, if you stick with certain storylines, um, which is very much the case if you read DC or Marvel, where, you know, the, the reward that you get is so gratifying if you follow it for the, long, the longer that you do. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even, the, even the titles that kind of take it and – uh, like take the format and really kind of turn it inside out because I mean, I'm a massive fan of the old archetypes, but at the same time, I love like a lot of the, the vertigo stuff that came out, like the, the Marvel night stuff that came out, like the more adult stuff where you had things like trans metropolitan and oh, yeah. that really kind of took those tropes and flipped them on their, on their head. But the underlying vibe was still the same was fighting against uh an evil that has too much power and trying to be righteously good against it, you know? It was, yes. It and if any wrestler wants to come, come out with a diarrhea gun a la Spider Jerusalem from Transmet, <laughs> I think that would be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, my favorite part of that comic, and it's one of my favorites, is when he's he's sitting back and he's 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 going through the news feeds and he finds all of the uh, the parodies of himself and he's just absolutely awash in shame where he's just like, <laughs> oh my god! And then the porn one was so funny. So yeah, so I mean, shockingly relevant to that comic book. Shockingly, still. <laughs> much so. so ahead of its time, it's ridiculous. I got to ask, in terms of wrestling, um, has any wrestler used a Slipknot song to come out for their for their main song? I don't I don't know what they call it, but uh, and if not, do you have a favorite wrestler that you would love for them to utilize your music in that way? Uh, Nobody in the WWE or the AEW line has has used that I know of anyway. I know. all Out Life was NXT's theme song for like the, the longest time and then Unsainted. So they've used our music a little bit here and there, but nobody's used it for their intro yet. 
a friend of mine who's a uh, an indie wrestler, uh, his name's Danhausen. He ha- has used uh, Slipknot and Stone Sour and really kind of incorporated that as his intro, but nobody yet. I'm some kind of <laughs> jealously uh, saving that intro for when I make my debut or whenever that happens. I don't know. Yes. I don't know if I can pull that off. <laughs> you know, uh, starting with the solo album, who knows where you're going to go next year? Who knows what the world is going to look like next year? All I know yeah, is right now. I mean, the so- best way to make God laugh is to announce your plans out loud. So there you go. <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of next year, um, I got to ask, do you feel good about returning to the stage in 2021? Have you guys come up with any plans to tour yet um, or a personal tour for your solo album? I mean, the plan is to, yeah, I mean, ostensibly that's it is to, you know, we're just kind of waiting to see how things play out. Um, obviously we keep moving things back uh, just to play, you know, play it on the safe side. Uh, the plan right now is um, for the rest of the year to do virtual stuff with my solo thing next year, try to finish up the tour cycle with Slipknot, maybe do some, some one-offs uh, solo wise here and there in that you know in that interim uh but then after slipknot's done i want to go back in the studio and record cmf2 and then go on the road and tour the world with two solo albums and not just one so that's wow. my plan right now yeah you've got a you've got a whole couple year plan i love that any updates I plan out five years in a, in a, you know five years ahead so then i can't die i have <laughs> to keep these things going you know yes i love that attitude how about stone sour any updates there Stone Sour is on indefinite hiatus right now. Uh, everybody else is kind of doing their thing. Uh, and when I told them that I wanted to do the solo thing, they're actually totally, totally into it and totally got it. So they're all kind of doing their own thing. And, uh, you know, solo thing is going to be my, my main concentration besides Slipknot for now and on. Yes. And it sounds like there's really going to be no shortage of music and stuff coming from you. So we are all very, very happy to hear that. Um, Now let's get into some horror shit, because that's what we love here at Metal Crush. You know, it's my dream to make the show because, like, horror fans and metal fans are so interconnected. So I'd love to ask you first, as a kid, what came first for you, horror or heavy music? Uh, It was horror, actually. Um, My first memory of horror, and I can remember this like it's yesterday, was my mom took me to see... Uh, the Gil Gerard Buck Rogers movie when I was a kid, right? I must have been four or five, just before I was five. And, uh, I mean, it was sci-fi, so it was kind of like Star Wars, but okay, you know? Um, And I had already (laughs) seen Star Wars, so I was, like, all about, you know, spaceships and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't really ready for the disco spaceship stuff that was going on in Buck Rogers, you know? (laughs) Um, But the trailer before the movie was John Carpenter's Halloween. Ah. Yeah, that that first, I don't even want to call it a teaser trailer because it was a proper, proper trailer, but you didn't really learn anything. You just got these incredible visuals, this sense of it's autumn, it's Halloween, and there's just this dude in the background of every shot. <laughs> and I can remember as a five-year-old just being transfixed and just, like I suddenly didn't care about Buck Rogers at all. All I wanted to do was see that movie. And to this day, it was the, the I think it was the one moment in my life that really 
galvanized my taste and what what my young mind thought was cool man and and then after that it was just a it was a journey it was a mission to see that movie even from that young age man and it was actually a couple of years later that I actually got to watch it. Probably shouldn't have just because I was seven or eight years old at the time. <laughs> but best moment, man. The best movie I'd ever seen. It was so good. And to this day, is one of my favorite movies. I love that. And, and that answers my question about whether you were able to see it in a theater or not. Obviously not. But I'm so curious about how you used to ingest horror movies. And we're talking about pre-internet. So this is before we had right. all these amazing streaming platforms. Because I remember, you know, having my sisters rent things from Blockbuster. And then I'd like hide because I was too young to see them. It imprints on your mind. And then that informs your taste for the rest of your life. So I'm curious, how did you discover horror films before the internet? Um, it was largely on cable, you know, so I was a latchkey kid. Um, this was the early, early years of, of cable. I'm going to date myself. Uh, it was around 82, 83, you know, so I would come home from school and my mom worked. Uh, I didn't, my dad wasn't around. So I would just, you know, basically I'd keep an eye on my younger sister while my mom was at work. But we just watched cable. We just watched TV. So it was the early days of HBO, Cinemax. Uh, the movie channel was just kind of starting. Showtime hadn't really hit. But we had, like, the basic cable package. So we had all of that stuff. And there were no adult locks yet. So I, got, I could watch basically everything at Infinitum. You know, it was, it was cool. So that was my first kind of taste on watching, uh, you know, cool. That was where I saw John Carpenter's The Thing uh, was, you know, like while best my movie. mom was at work. Oh, man, <laughs> best movie. Top five all time. is Same. so good. Um, I got to see that. Um, obviously, the original Halloween. I got to see uh, a lot of weirder horror, um, like uh, what was the... Uh, uh, altered states which to this day still is such a weird movie for me like yeah. um but anyway yeah that, so that was my taste of like all that stuff and uh it was you know that led me to a couple of years later when the real the rental kind of generation started my mom had uh a membership at the and this is so weird at the the convenience store down the street where they rented movies like there there wasn't a blockbuster or a, a hollywood video like really close to us so we rented from the convenience store down the street right and uh, so i would go in and they didn't, weren't checking ids like they weren't doing <laughs> anything like that so i would see uh pumpkin head i would see like uh rawhead rex like i, I rented all these crazy weird movies and then I would just go home and then just binge them all day, right? And you could get like, you know, four movies for three bucks. Yeah. So I would just walk <laughs> out of there with like, oh, it was great, you know? The, taking bottles and cans back and cashing them in just so I could rent horror movies, man. 
Hell yeah. It's interesting. And, and I think that personally, I, I really romanticize the days of having a physical copy, especially VHSs, because they're just they're nice to hold in your hand. And even I know uh, certain uh, movie studios have started re-releasing their movies on VHS for collectors. Do you think are you a collector, first of all? And also, do you think that there's something more valuable about holding a physical piece of media? I don't know about valuable, but it's, there's definitely there's a connection when it comes to holding because I'm I'm one of the worst collectors on the planet. Like <laughs> comics, movies, I have over five thousand DVDs in my collection. Wow, it, it's stupid. Yeah, I think no, that makes you the a, best collector. This is a real issue. Okay, <laughs> like I I already have no room in my house for any of my stuff. I'm still <laughs> trying to sort out some real estate for all my movies. I have not gotten there yet. I think when you're a collector, there's a real mindset that comes with not only holding the physical copy, but the search, the, the, the journey to find it. You know, I was like that when I was looking through, you know, you know, back rooms in the dirt malls looking for, you know, like uh, comics, action figures, movies, like all kinds of stuff, like old movie posters, which I've collected over the years. Um, to me, it's about the the search and the discovery and then mm. cherishing that. So I think it's the more time you put in looking for a certain title and looking for a certain copy, the more you're going to be able to look back on that fondly. And then you, when you have it in your collection, you look at it and there's a story attached to it as opposed to digitally downloading something, you just go, and done. It's just, there's just no, there's no story about that. It's like, well, how'd you get it? That's what I did. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's certainly a little less romantic. It's so interesting to hear you talk about that specific experience because when you talk about it, it really reminds me of my experience looking for records and, and right. digging through like the dollar bins back at like Streetlight Records in San Jose back when I was a kid. And you find something that kind of jumps out to you. And then when it does, seem really cool when you take it home and it's great it's such a validating wonderful experience that's exactly it i mean <laughs> growing up in des moines i uh you know we didn't really have cool shops you know so me and my friends we would do weekend road trips you know we would drive five hours to chicago three hours to you know minneapolis st paul an hour and a half to omaha three hours to kansas city that's where we went to get our stuff you know and you talk about albums absolutely i mean even even when it was just looking for certain cds you know like looking for you know the obscure stuff that you weren't going to find at a target or a disc jockey or anything like that you wanted something that like everybody was talking about and it was before the you know, the internet. So you couldn't just, you know, type it in and look for it. It took time. And because it took time, you appreciated it so much more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm happy to hear. Um, I don't get to hear from people who grew up and, and rented a lot of videos um, back in the, the 80s about specifically binge watching. I think that we really associate yeah. that with streaming services, but it was for sure a thing back then. And I'm so happy yeah. that you brought that up. I would love to talk a little bit. I know we have a lot to talk about regarding horror movies from the 70s and 80s, especially the 80s. But I'd love to hear from you about contemporary horror. Um, what has been something that you've liked that's come out in the last, let's say, decade or even five years? And, and do you feel like contemporary horror pushes boundaries in the way that 80s horror did? 
That's a good question. Um, I think people are starting to, I think, I think because people have learned their lesson when it comes to, for lack of a better term, big budget horror, Mm -hmm. where they, you know, people, I don't know when, but they decided they got it in their heads that if they threw a ton of money at something that meant, that meant it was going to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way it was in the eighties, you know, horror movies cost like a buck, you know, (laughs) And yeah. that's why they made tons of money is because they didn't cost a lot to make, but that forced the creative process that forced people to think creatively and really treat things differently because you had to stretch the money to fit the vision, you know, mm-hmm. and they kind of flipped that for a while, but I feel like that's starting to come back yeah. uh, in a lot of different ways. I don't know if it's because of the availability of the technology. So anyone can, can make a movie, but at the same time, you look at something like, for lack of a better term, I mean, Wolf Cop is one of the <laughs> funniest, coolest movies that I've, I'd had seen in a long time. And it looks like it cost a buck 50, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, but it's so full of, talent and creativity and fun that you don't care. You're like, who cares how much it made or how much it cost? I'm sure it made it back and then some. But then you look at a movie like, uh, probably the best movie I've seen in the last five years would have to be Hereditary. So good. Oh, my fave. (laughs) You know, it's like, I'm not a massive fan of uncomfortable horror movies, but that movie sucked me in. So, I mean, I was just me and my wife were sitting on the bed just going ah! like not <laughs> sure what really was going on, but I just knew that I needed a shower after I was, <laughs> yeah. it was just so rad. Hail payment. It's a very metal movie too, in terms of horror. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting uh, to hear you talk about specifically budgets in horror film, because I do feel like independent horror is really having a moment and, and it will hopefully continue to, because I think um, it forces you to be creative, as you were saying. And to me, that kind of parallels the heavy music scene. When you look at like the DIY punk movement and you look at heavier music, so much of it is DIY and so much of it is low budget. And I really think that those two things go together so perfectly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's word of mouth, really. You know, our genres are held together by the underground, by word of mouth. You know, nobody's no, nobody's nominating, uh, you know, the devil's candy for uh, an Oscar, you know, like nobody's putting money into, you know, kind of putting that out there for people to see. And it's the same with heavy metal. And, and you know, nobody's, you know, putting us up against uh, the, you know, pop acts and stuff and the, at the Grammys, you know, our genres work because the fan base sticks together. Our genres consistently overcome and we survive trends that ebb and flow specifically because we love the genre specifically because we're dedicated to the genre specifically because we're dedicated to the people who have the creativity to think outside the norm and bring us something special you never know what you're going to get with that stuff you know exactly what you're going to get with a rom-com you don't you don't really know what you're going to get when it comes to things like metal horror all of these great things. So it's a, it's a good 
it's a good legacy to be to be a part of, to be honest. Very well said. And uh, uh, this is this is not a question that I've asked to one of our guests before, but I'm so interested in specifically your answer because um, you are someone who is a musician who has really stayed true to your creative vision, and that's not an easy thing to do when trying to make heavy metal popular and trying to make heavy metal a commercial success. You guys have found a lot of success in that way, and I'm so curious. And this is also like as someone who is you know really into horror and really into metal these are things that really thrive like you said in the underground there can be quite a bit of gatekeeping um, as a, a symptom of that and i'm curious how do you find the balance of staying true and staying un quote unquote underground um while also having a career and pursuing success <laughs> i mean that's it's a, a good question um i'm not really sure i think it's a uh a couple of different things. Uh, one, I'd like to think that we're, we're pretty good at what we do. And that's, you know, we never come out and toot our own horn enough, but you don't stick around for over 20 years making this type of music and not be pretty good. So yeah. I think talent wise and create creatively, we're there, you know? Yeah. But I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that we've never really cared what anybody thought to be honest for me the 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 whole the whole reason to make music is for me from a purely selfish standpoint then we share the music with other people we don't specifically make it for other people we make it for us first and then share it and i think when you do that you really limit the amount of people who have a say in what your music sounds like, mm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's and it's not that's not to come off in a bad way, but when you when the tier is inverted, the the you know the talent should start at the top and then funnel down like that. But when people with a say they invert that pyramid, it becomes something less than creative. It becomes something less than art. It's that it's the old adage about too many cooks, and it's absolutely true. If you're not the singular voice and the singular idea behind it, then whose music is it really? Well, first of all, very, very well said. I think that those are such important words to keep in mind um, for anybody who is watching this or, or listening to it as a podcast, as a creator. And you'll find that same sentiment echoed with comic book writers, with uh, novelists, with actors, with film writers about staying true to your vision because if you reverse engineer it and you try to create something that everyone will like, you'll end up with something pretty bland. But if you create something that's for yourself, you'll find the people who that resonates with and that's how you have a legacy, just like Slipknot does. Exactly. <laughs> and in that same process, you don't lose the emotion as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we've, we've covered contemporary horror, but I'm so excited to speak with you about this insane hours-long documentary, In Search of Darkness. I know that you had a hand in it. Can you tell me about this documentary and tell me what your role was on it? My role, and this is, this is a true story, and, and Robin, to this day, we, we laugh about it. Um, it's my role in it honestly started as someone who was contributing to the Kickstarter. Amazing. That was, like, I, I found like uh, the the link for it was kind of was was uh, shooting around the socials, and I clicked on it and I just in the description alone I was just like oh 
Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't even, at that point, it wasn't even in my mind to be a contributor. I just wanted to see it get made, you know, because I'm such a fan. So I contributed and I saw, I, I contributed to the, to the highest tier, which meant that I could be interviewed for the thing. I didn't tell them who I was. And they were like, so I get this email back um, saying, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you like the genre. And I seriously wrote, uh, well, my name's Corey Taylor. I'm the singer for Slipknot and Stone Sour. Dude, that's so wild. <laughs> 30 minutes, I got a personal email and they're like, dude, what the hell? Like, yeah, I know, right? I mean, it was just that simple. And then that really led to getting together and filming my part, which they didn't realize how comprehensive my uh, knowledge was of 80s horror until we we looked back and I had been talking for three hours. <laughs> and they were like, and that's how the collector's edition, my collector's edition became to be because they were like, there's so much good stuff. We got it. We're, we're going to put this stuff together for the original you know, for the real version, the official version, but then we, we would like to do this collector's version and the rest was history really. And so much so that um, they've asked me to be a part of uh, In Search of Darkness 2 and In Search of uh, Tomorrow, which is their 80s sci-fi uh, documentary. Oh my gosh. I'm so thrilled that they're doing more of these because it's just a treasure trove. And once you really get people talking about it, it's so, so interesting. I don't think that horror... Um, I think horror has the most dedicated fans out there and it's so cool that what a baller move just being like, Oh, by the way, Corey Taylor, what the fuck? My way to really tell them who I was until the, it was too late. They're like, we, well, you know, if you want to be a part of it, we have to know who you are. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's amazing. So I know that the um, original in search of darkness is available on shutter, which is a great app that I love very much. And, um, Tell me where people are going to be able to see the unfettered. Oh, the collector's edition. The collector's edition, I believe, is available to be ordered uh, at at Robin's website, which I think is in, in search of darkness.com. I'm not sure, though. Uh, if not, I'm, I think there's a link uh, on my website, thecoreytaylor.com. I, I think you can find a link to that. Um, and I, I believe there are still some copies left uh, to order. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty rad. It's really, really cool. That is so cool. So is it a, a hard copy? Is it going to be like a, a Blu-ray or a DVD? It's a Blu-ray, Blu-ray copy. Yeah, That's it's pretty so cool. cool. Man, for any Slipknot fan and, and horror fan, this is like the perfect marriage between the two. So I'm sure those will go fast. Um, you also have another really interesting connection to the horror community and that is your involvement with tom savini the absolutely legendary sfx artist creep show dawn of the dead maniac so so many movies um tell me about what it has been like to work with tom uh you know working with tom it has been i mean honestly for just from a fanboy stand standpoint ridiculously awesome man you know he's you know, he knows he's such a treasure trove of knowledge, period. You know, whether it's horror or history or, I mean, just a litany of things. Having a conversation with him is like opening a book that you didn't know what it was about and then just learning a ton of stuff right out of the gate. <laughs> he was so gracious and so cool. Um, 
and has been just a delight to be a friend with. He's actually in the the CMFT must be stopped video. If you admit, amazing, yeah, he's in it for a split second. He's in his mask room and he's just kind of singing, and it's really really cool. Uh, getting to work with him has been really cool, and uh, it's honestly we're starting to work on. I've been writing uh, some scripts, uh, some horror scripts that I've been working on. And the first one, uh, and I'm not going to give too much away, but he's already told me that if, if I get it, if I can get it together, he'll, he'll do the, the effects for it. So um, the dream. That is so cool. I, I do know he, he designed the, the Slipknot mask redesigns. Is that right? He did it for, uh, he did mine. Uh, for he, yours, yes. Mine, yeah. And uh, yeah, working with him was actually really cool. It was basically just, it was like talking to, you know, someone, like, it was like talking to a historian trying to come up with the, the best idea for a book about World War II. You know, it was that kind of vibe where I was like, this is what I want. How, how, how do we put this together? And there it was. Plus he, I got to see his, his museum, which is his house, you know, and, just being in that place, I was just like, I, it was ridiculous. I got to see this sex machine gun and fluffy. <sighs> like, I mean, the whole, it's just ridiculous. I mean, just legends hanging with legends. We love to see it. <laughs> so I want to ask you a little bit of a broader question, um, but I think you'll have some good insight because of the conversation we've had so, so far has been so, so interesting. Um, why do you think, fans of heavy metal are also so drawn to the worlds of horror and sci-fi and fantasy. And why do you think, um, you know, on the other side of that, that metal musicians are so drawn to those themes as well for their music? I think it has to do with the draw. Maybe it's, maybe it's the power that we all get from that, that dark side that helps us, kind of continue on on the light side, you know? Um, I know that aggressive, heavy music has really helped me work out so much, uh, so many issues in my life, so many things that have clung to me over the years from my childhood, uh, to, from my depression, uh, my, the various addictions that I've fought over the years. I, I think a lot of it, I've been able to, deal with and really make malleable and manageable because of uh, the aggression I'm able to let off because of heavy music. You know, it's, it's been something that's always been there for me. It's, it's been able to describe exactly how I feel. Um, it's allowed me to continue that discussion musically. Um, it's allowed me to really kind of pour my heart out and pull it out and throw it against the wall. And then, you know, kind of pick it back up begrudgingly and stick it back in. Um, <laughs> it's, it's helped me find happiness, you know? And I, I think maybe in a weird way, that's what horror has done as well. You know, it's, you know, there's a little bit of crazy in all of us. And the, uh, the you know, horror fans are no exception, but we're able to kind of enjoy that kind of schadenfreude that comes with, seeing the bad guy get the comeuppance or seeing the, you know, the, the archetypes in the, the movies that represent this or that or the other thing really get what's coming to them as well. You know, there's, there's something very uh, brothers grim about, 
or something that is, you know, it's Aesop fables, it's O. Henry, it's, there's something that touches all of us because of what's going on, whether it's Jason chasing youth or, you know, werewolves running through the states, streets of London. There's something that is just so gratifying for us from a creative standpoint. And also being able to kind of touch the darkness allows us to pull back and deal with the real darkness that is in life, you know? Maybe it's because when we watch movies like that, that is easier to understand than some of the darker stuff that happens in real life. 1000% agree on, on, the, on the catharsis of heavy metal and of horror as a whole. Um, and it's so interesting that you say um, that horror has this role of catharsis with us because it is created so often to be a response to what's happening in the world. And you see horror trends and same exact thing with heavy metal. And so it, to me, it's always been about finding comfort in a very extreme way, you know, a very like so much pageantry, so much uh, melodrama, but it really is such a great way to work through your shit. Um, and right. on top of that, I think that metalheads are just little freaks. Like we like we like things that are taboo. We like things that are are scary. It's it's fascinating to us, and and that's the boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I got I have to ask you um, just because you you gave me this delicious little thread that I haven't picked up yet. You're working on another documentary with the In Search of Darkness team about okay. '80s sci-fi. Can you tell me some of your favorite sci-fi movies? Oh man. Well, I mean, obviously. You know, if you start with 80, you know, there's, you know, the, the, the end two thirds of the Star Trek or the Star Wars trilogy, there's Enemy Mind, there's The Thing, which is kind of sci-fi horror, there's, uh, you know, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I mean, I, you know, I grew up with, I, I grew up embracing the darker side of sci-fi, you know, so you had stuff like Aliens. Um, you had stuff like the Terminator, and, you know, all of that stuff, Blade Runner, the stuff that really kind of pushed the boundaries. But then you even had, you know, the obscure stuff like hardware, even the robot jocks and robot wars and stuff like that. That was more towards the end. But there were so many great sci-fi movies in the 80s, everything from the kids stuff like The Last Starfighter uh, to the you know the darker stuff like enemy mine it's, it's such a criminally underappreciated movie and it works on so many different levels there's a socio-political bent to it that really it rings true today um and yet there's like the effects are incredible dennis quaid is great in it you can't even tell that it's lewis gossett jr in the other you know the the co-star role it's it's fantastic like it's I, I can't say enough about that movie. It's one of my favorites. I've never seen it, and now I know what I'm doing tonight. I'm so excited. <laughs> you really will. It's so cool. Amazing. And you also have some acting experience in sci-fi E stuff, including sci-fi's own Sharknado 4. We love that series. And um, 
I actually was in a movie uh, from one of the Sharknado directors. It's very similar. Um, we love, I, I mean, both in heavy metal and in horror and sci-fi, camp is such a big element and, and it's such a fun aspect of it. So I've got two questions regarding that. Is acting something that you would like to get into more talking about these features that you're writing? Um, and also, um, tell me what you think the role of camp is in heavy metal and in sci-fi. Ooh, let me, let me do the camp part. Sure. <laughs> you know, there's something just, I think maybe it's because metal and horror can, can both be very serious, but they can also be over the top, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes the over, to, over the top stuff is the best stuff, you know? I mean, you just look at the blood and gore that comes around with uh, a movie like Bad Taste or, uh, or Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. You know, it's, you know, if you show that to a kid, kid, it's very, very scary. But then you watch it as an adult and you're just like, this is ridiculous, you know, <laughs> but you still love it. And I think that's the same way with metal. You know, there's so many metal bands that are, you know, whether it's the more symphonic operatic metal bands that are just constantly looking for the high notes and, uh, you know, a million uh, you know, a, a, like, you know, a million notes per second in, in a shred fest or the uh, more, you know, kind of pomp and circumstance of like horror metal, you know, where it's very much about the theatrics and, and the Broadway of it. You know, I think these things lend themselves visually to an experience that is still very much metal and yet is completely different from something like Sabbath or something like Metallica or something like, you know, like even like Slayer, which is, you know, probably one of the heaviest, darkest bands of all time. And yet the very minimalist when it really comes down to it, but then you take something like, like haunted garage, which, you know, that's, you know, people can Google that one because <laughs> that band was just as, in your face as Guar was, uh, and yet they're really a, a, an underground gem. They're really, really good. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, friends, Guar, friends of the show, they were on our first episode. Um, I, you know, as an actor, as, as someone who just like is a theater kid forever for the rest of my life, any kind of pageantry is, uh, is so appreciated from me. Um, and now I have to make you answer the other question, which is, are you going to cast yourself in these movies that Tom Savini is going to do makeup in eventually when we can watch these in, I don't know, a year, two years? How long does it take to make movies? Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I, I love acting. You know, I've been in a bunch of, I was in uh, Fear Clinic. I got to work with Robert England, which was rad, exactly. you know, just very, very cool. Uh, obviously, I was in Sharknado 4. I um, feel like I peaked there, you know. I <laughs> I was also in uh, Clown's directorial debut, Officer Down, and uh, got to do some cool stuff like that. So I just, I like, I like playing a role, you know, I'm not an actor at all, but I also like, you know, the idea of kind of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and, and seeing how you would react when things kind of go that way. So yeah, so I, I've done, a, actually I've done a, a couple other acting gigs over the last couple of years. Um, I can't really talk about them yet because they haven't really been put out there yet. Oh. Uh, but yeah, if, uh, if these scripts get made, I'm definitely going to put myself in at least the dude in the background that everybody kind of goes, Hey, 
I, I think that's, you know, because there's always one in every movie that you look in the background, you're like, <laughs> yeah, got to have a writer cameo or a director's cameo. <laughs> Well, I am so, so excited to see what future projects you create. Um, keep on making stuff. Hit your girl up if you need an actress. Absolutely. Yes. Hey, you'll be <laughs> Got to promote. So <laughs> Corey, you've been such a delight to speak with today. And I would love to just give you the floor if you have anything that you would like to pass on to sci-fi fans and Slipknot fans um, and anybody just trying to get through these crazy times. Uh, I guess my only message would be just hang on. You know, we're all in it together. Um, it's it's a crazy time, but historically, you know, we've seen it before. We'll probably see it again. But as long as we continue to do it correctly, do it smart, do it uh, together, I feel like we will be able to get through this and, and really come out the other side, understanding more, uh, being a little smarter, and hopefully you know, the next time something like this is, you know, threatens us, we can, we can better be prepared, you know? So don't give up hope. And, uh, you know, if all things go the way I hope they will, we will see you next year on the road. Yes. Wise words with a positive spin. I love it. Thank you again, Corey. You rule. Very welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks to Corey for speaking with me. Be sure to check out his new solo album, CMFT, on October 2nd via Roadrunner Records. Our final interview on this episode is with Maria Brink from In This Moment. Let's get into that right now on Metal Crush. I'm here with Maria Brink from In This Moment. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Can you talk a little bit about some of the horror movies that you love? I love, I mean, like the old school, I love all the old school, like, you know, originals like Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. I loved all of the Firestarter. I loved so much when I was a little girl. There's, she was like, this little girl setting everything on fire, you know, so it's like, I want to be her. So um, I think loved all those. And then The Shining is probably up there for me. Um, Alien, I love all the, the aliens, like the first especially the first three. Looking at, um, you know, things that are, are a little bit darker emotionally gives us an outlet to really have space to just be fuller people and have that, like, everybody is naturally curious about darker things and having that outlet is so important to me. I mean, you're so right. It's like, I don't, I mean, I'm actually experiencing it right now because I, that is my outlet, my to go on stage and like become somebody else and like have this power. It's like a rush that comes over me and I can just let it all out. And that's what they want me to do. It's crazy. And you know, I can just be powerful and scream and sing and cry. And like, so that's how I release all of my fire. I'm Sagittarius, um, half, Cuban, half Cuban, like I have fire to me, you know, and it's like now I'm quarantined. It's so interesting because I don't have this release because my everyday life, I'm actually, you know, I'm sweet and I'm not walking around screaming. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to figure out outlets to try to get that, to get that out. How did you get into horror movies as a kid? And also I'm curious about how you got into heavier music as a kid. Um, horror movies, I had an, an aunt and she was like, five years older than me and I was always with her so she was like my babysitter person so she had me just watch 
watching all the horror movies. <laughs> like, my mama was a rock and roll kind of uh, flower child mother. She loved Tina Turner and Stevie Nicks and Patti Smith. Patti Smith, my mom, she has a lot. She was, well, it was so rebel to me when I was a little girl, like Joan Jett. So my mom idolized them. So I think that and I saw like all these powerful women and it kind of, I think she put that in me. I think that's what got me into believing like I could do that for a living because like, I'm watching it as a little girl, you know. Looking at Joan Jett and looking at the final girls in horror yeah. movies, I see that totally bridged together. That makes a lot of sense. I used to work at DC Comics, and uh, DC is very, very near and dear to me. Uh, they're certainly a comic book company that doesn't shy away from darker-themed and more adult-themed stories, um, one being Dark Knight's Metal. And I understand that you actually recorded a song for the deluxe edition. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I, I was really excited to do that and be a part of that. And I had such great artists on it, and Tyler Bates was a part of that, and it was my first time getting to work with him. And a bunch of other people and I thought like how cool it was to be a part of like starting you know it's cool how music can just connect all these different worlds that you don't even like you know and like now it's like starting to learn about that and I started looking into other types of comics you know bands kind of did a comic sometimes I just thought it was cool or like artists so we actually just did one with our band so it's getting ready to come out here you guys made a comic book what tell me about that it is. It's about, we call, um, our new, our album's called Mother, but there's a song in between and heaven and hell. So we kind of created this kind of world that's between heaven and hell where like people don't quite fit in either place. And it's like a metaphor for, you know, people who can't fit in and stuff like that. And together, like I'm there and I fall into there when I'm like a little girl. And it's a really cool story and it all holds in there, but um, I don't want to give it all away yet, but <laughs> it's really, it's cool. And I think it's beautiful and it's a different expression where all these people who don't fit in are kind of embracing each other and growing and the in-between between heaven and hell. And then they, they're going to go into heaven and hell. It's a cool story. And we're probably going to do some more of that kind of branch off of it. Well, I think that everyone will be waiting patiently. I know that your fans are so excited about this new album. Maria, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It's always so cool to hear from fellow metalheads about their love for genre movies and, uh, and what makes them tick. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks to Maria for speaking with me. And thanks to you for listening to our five podcast episodes of Sci-Fi Wire's limited engagement of Metal Crush. I would love to think we could do more of these. So please help spread the word about Metal Crush. Share these episodes on your socials with the hashtag Sci-Fi Wire Metal Crush. Follow Sci-Fi Wire on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And follow me on Twitter too while you're at it, at Whitney Moore. Thanks, folks.